Good morning. This morning, I want to introduce our storyteller for today. And if you're not familiar with that because you're new here, we have a storyteller each week because everybody has a story. And it's so encouraging to hear from each other some times in your life where sometimes it's just something that's a funny story, sometimes it's a spiritual story. And I'm going to invite Joanne Montague on up. She's going to be our storyteller. Joanne's been a part of our care team for many years, and uh, she is an amazing quilter and knitter and all kinds of wonderful crafty things. She's not a crafty person. She does crafty things. Come on up, Joanne. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Joanne Montague. I have a Memorial Day story to share. On May 22, 1942, my father enlisted in the Army Air Force. He had a year of college studying airplane mechanics. When he was 31, he met and married my mother in a small ceremony in April 1943 in Oakland, California. They lived together for approximately eight to nine months before the Army sent him to France in December of 1943. He was assigned to work at the Air Force headquarters in Vittel, Vosges, Lorraine, France, as a staff sergeant with the 63rd Fighter Wing Squadron. I was born in the summer of 1944, before World War II ended in 1945. My parents corresponded almost daily, with my father writing multiple pages describing how much he missed my mother and me. My mother sent photos of us to my father, but he and I never met each other as he died from heart failure February 6, 1945, in Vettel, when I was only six and a half months old. He was only 32. Although we'd never met, I always wondered what life would have been like if he had lived and returned from the war. When I was seven, my mother remarried and had three more children. Since I had always wanted to know more about my father, I decided to find out all I could about him. My grandmother visited about once a year via Greyhound bus when I was a child, but passed away in 1980 having had dementia for a number of years. My father's only sibling was 10 years younger and didn't have many memories of her brother either, which made it quite difficult to find information. My mother had not had the funds to fly her husband home in 1945, so he was buried in a U.S. cemetery in Epinal, France. Since I had never been to France, I asked a friend if she'd like to join me for a driving trip in September 2002 from Paris to Epinal. We landed in Paris, spending three days touring the city before renting a car for our road trip. Then we headed south, driving through Dijon, we didn't see any mustard, <laughs> east over the Vosges Mountains to Epinal. It was quite the adventure as we saw the countryside and French villages along the way. When arriving at the U.S. cemetery, we parked in front of what appeared to be the office. We were greeted by a man who asked what the name of the person was that we were looking for and asked us to wait a few minutes looking at correspondence from other families while he found the information that we needed. To prepare to escort us to the gravesite, he put on his boots, got his pail with sand, and grabbed his garden clippers. 
my friend and I were beginning to think that we must have been talking to the gardener. As we headed down the path, the gardener walked over to one of the rose bushes that was part of the courtyard that we passed through. He then used his clippers to cut a rose. We continued walking into the courtyard through a large arch in the center. When we entered the arch, there were two rooms, one on either side. The room on the left had a mosaic tiled wall showing the various battles that had occurred in France. The room on the right was a small chapel. There were many beautiful quotes etched into the exterior of the arch, as well as the names of missing soldiers etched in the wall surrounding the courtyard. The caretaker took us to my father's gravesite, where he placed the rose at the base of the marble cross. He then took the sand in the bucket and rubbed it into the indentations on the cross so the name and dates would show up in a picture. He then took a Polaroid snapshot and headed back to his office, asking us to stop by before we left. As you can imagine, this was a very special and emotional time for me. God had provided a time that I could be as close as possible to my father. I've often wondered what it would be like hugging my dad and his hugging me. I've wondered what kind of adventures we would have had together and I've imagined that he would have been the kindest, caring, and loving dad ever. After the quiet time at my father's gravesite, I proceeded back to the office to meet with the caretaker. He presented me with the Polaroid picture and a folder of information, including a booklet of U.S. cemeteries all over the world. Did you know? that there are 26 American military cemeteries in 16 foreign countries operated by the American Battle Monuments Commission. Included in the folder was a current newsletter put out by AWON, A-W-O-N, which stands for American World War II Orphans Network. I had no idea that there was such an organization. So I subscribed to find out more. The very next issue, had an article that described how spouses can receive a pension even if they had subsequently remarried. I immediately thought that my mother would qualify. My sister and I gathered the information and applied for the pension for our mother. About six months later, she received a retroactive check as well as began receiving an additional $950 a month until her death in 2006. Prior to that, my siblings and I had been thinking that we'd need to supplement our mother's income in the near future. With this additional income, she was able to continue to live comfortably. Clearly, God had orchestrated this trip with unexpected, multi-purpose results. The A1 newsletter has continued or has connected me with other individuals that were orphaned from World War II. As a member of the organization, I have also been privileged to be with the group at the dedication ceremonies for the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. on April 29, 2004. And now I can even send $25 to decorate my father's gravesite in Epinal on Memorial Day. Needless to say, Memorial Day has a 
deeper meaning for me now after having found my father's gravesite. Thank you for listening to my story. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Ephesians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading verses 10 through 18 from Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Revised Standard Version. The whole armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Joanne, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm just kind of in awe of how God orchestrated these verses on this weekend and Joanne's story all working together. That's something that I certainly could not have done. So today we are ending our series in the book of Ephesians in chapter six. And the thing is when you read chapter six all by itself, we tend to isolate it and turn it into something that it's not. You see, we have to read it within the context of all of the book of Ephesians and know what Paul has been saying all along to get him to this point here where he says, finally. So our tendency is when we see the armor of God just as its own thing without knowing what the armor is for, we can take it as a personal call to action to oppose those who oppose God. And that's not what this text is saying. Previously in chapter four, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He's exhorting his readers to break down barriers, to practice unity, to be children of the light, and to have respectful relationships. None of those are aggressive tasks. However, they are difficult tasks for us because they tend to go against our own nature or our old nature because we tend to put up barriers or create disunity or look out for ourselves in our relationships. And so chapter six is telling us how we can win this battle against the old self, the battle between what we were 
and what we are now with our life in Christ. And so there are some very specific things that Paul says we need to put on in order to be successful for this battle. And all six pieces of armor, isn't that cool how the words are in the pieces there? All six pieces of armor are all aspects of our new self or aspects of, of Christ. And they are required for us for the battle. Well, he starts off by saying, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power and put on the whole armor of God. So his first point here, as he says in verses 10 through 12, is that the events of this world, especially the conflicts that we experience, are truly indicative of warfare in heavenly places, in places that are beyond what we can see. Our struggles are not with this physical world and certainly not against blood and flesh. Our battle is not with others and it's not with our circumstances. It's against what the Bible refers to as Satan or the powers of darkness. Well, how can that be? If you're having a health crisis, certainly that is against blood and flesh. And what about financial problems or loss of a job? That doesn't seem like a spiritual problem. Or what about an unhealthy or broken relationship? Isn't that just people not getting along? Well, I believe that all of our struggles are at the root, they are spiritual nature. Well, what do I mean? The real and deeper battle that we face is not believing the truth about God. It's not the crisis, but instead, it's the crisis of faith that comes from the struggle. You see, this is Satan's only weapon, getting us to not believe the truth about who God is. That's the spiritual implication of our struggles here on earth. It all started back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were not battling a snake or blood and flesh, but they were battling the very nature of evil which twisted God's words and caused them to question who God is. Now, before we go blaming Satan for everything, he can't make us do anything. Not even God makes us do what we don't want to do. You see, Eve chose to take that first bite. She listened and she acted. In the Christian community, we have a tendency to give Satan a lot more credit than he deserves. He is not all-powerful. He is not omnipresent. And he cannot make us do anything. He has as much power as we give him. So if you put on this requisite armor of God, you can, you have the ability to defy Satan, confident that all the difficulties he may bring your way cannot deprive you of the eternal life that you can have in Christ. Because see, that's the actual end game of spiritual warfare. To deny us our life in Christ he doesn't have that kind of power. 
Now Paul says here, therefore take up the whole armor of God. And the therefore is because all of this is going on, now you need to take up this armor so that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done everything on our part, we can stand firm. So it seems here Paul's actually saying, now that you understand the reality of who you're up against, you can put on the protection that will match the perpetrator. God has provided you with everything you need to stand firm. It's up to us now, Paul says, to do our part and put on that armor. Have you ever tried to use a tool that wasn't quite up to the task? Well, I have this adorable little hammer I keep in my office. It has painted butterflies on it and flowers, and it's really cute and great. And I use it to put little nails in the wall when I'm going to hang something up. What would happen if I tried to take this hammer out and build a house with it? It probably wouldn't hurt. It would look really cute, but it wouldn't work. What if you try to put out a forest fire with a garden hose? That's probably not going to work either, right? The fire is going to win. Well, we, if we are to withstand the spiritual battle, we cannot use human means. I can't just keep trying harder with the wrong armor or partial armor. I'm not going to be able to stand firm when the attack comes. I will crumble. I have crumbled under the weight of life. And when that happens, I see a direct correlation between me not having on my armor, me trying to handle things on my own, being armorless. And in those times, I start to wonder, where is God? What is he doing? Does he even care? You know, when my boys were little, they loved to play superheroes. And they would get really mad at each other because they would decide that whatever one was doing to the other, they were proof. I'm proof that. And the other one would say, no, you're not. And then they'd start fighting. And then they'd come up to me and say, mom, Adam says I'm proof this or he's proof that. And I can't beat him. I'm like, you're both proof, you know, whatever. But I think we, we think that we can use our human ways to uh, not succumb to the attacks of Satan. We're not proof. The only thing that's going to make us proof against Satan is the armor of God. Now, Paul says that the armor of God is all we need for these spiritual battles that we face. Notice that it does not say, put on the armor and go out and fight. No, it's so that we can take a defensive posture and stand firm. Our own responsibility is to put on the armor. It's not to fight the battle. That's God's job. And then we're able to withstand it. Now, the battle may not end. Their circumstances may not end. However, what we can do is withstand what's happening, get through the struggle, and that's the win. So now we see Paul describing the image of a Roman soldier of his day and all the armor that they wear, the different pieces that make up the entire armor. You see truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, salvation, word of God. 
Again, we're not talking about the armor of God being used in an aggressive manner. That was not what he was saying. This is not a call to arms to attack those who oppose God. Marva Dawn, a Christian theologian and author, talked about the language of that old hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers. It's been going through my head all week as I've been reading about this. And she reminds us that following Jesus by praying for our enemies, turning the other cheek, forgiving endlessly, is in many respects living embattled. It's not a fight against other people. It's not a triumphal war to form a Christian government. It's not a struggle opposing non-Christians or backsliders or even our own petty inabilities. The task is much bigger, and for that reason, the image of, a ro of a, being robed in a soldier's armor is fitting for the call. Well, let's go through each piece and look at its purpose. There are six pieces here. First, we have the belt of truth. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says that the word of truth is the gospel of salvation. And knowing that is what is true about God and about ourselves leads us to eternal salvation. When I remember what's true in the middle of my spiritual battle, I can withstand the attack. Do you have trouble believing what is true about God and who he is in the midst of the battle? Something that I really try to do is read the Psalms when I am feeling attacked. And the reason is because it reminds me of what is true about God. We see phrases like, he is my rock. He is from everlasting. He is my stronghold. He is faithful. King David knew exactly what he was talking about because when he wrote most of his psalms, he was on the run for his life. And so he knew what it was like to count on the truth of God. And what about the breastplate of righteousness? This righteousness does not come from oneself. It doesn't come from anything we can do to be righteous. It is taking on God's righteousness. When we are in a right relationship with God, we are counted as righteous in his eyes. It doesn't come from us being good or earning our way. So do you have the breastplate of righteousness or are you still believing that you can be righteous by doing good deeds? You know, I can say that I believe in God's righteousness but my actions don't always match what I say because a lot of times I am trying really hard to earn my way to be better, to be a good person. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what gives me my eternal salvation. And trying to be righteous, it can be really exhausting. I'm not going to win that battle unless I use God's armor and not my own. And what about the gospel of peace? In chapter 4, Paul says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we also read that Christ is our peace. 
And Romans says, if at possible, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. That's a responsibility that we have as Christians. Now, it's interesting that this particular piece of armor is for our feet. You see, wherever you go, grocery store, your job, school, your neighborhood, you can take the peace of Christ with you, the gospel of peace. And if you don't have peace yourself, you can't offer it to anyone else. We live in very unpeaceful times. All you have to do is watch the news for five minutes, and we see that. The world is looking for real peace. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is having a certain security in who we are and who Christ is. So who or what circumstances is God calling you to bring peace to? Real peace comes from being in a relationship with Christ, who is our peace. We need to have it so that we can always be ready to take it with us. And what about faith? Faith is a gift from God, and it is by faith alone we are told that we are saved. And even though it's a gift, we have a responsibility for growing in our faith. There are a lot of spiritual disciplines that we use to grow in our faith. We need to be reading the Bible. We need to be in a community of believers. We need to be serving. One of the biggest faith builders for me is hearing these stories each week from everybody. Isn't it? It's so encouraging to hear how God has been with other people in their faith journeys, and it builds us up. And what we can do is share ours with others, too. We help each other by staying connected in this body here. Faith is a shield that covers and protects. We can have faith in all kinds of things. We even put our faith in other people, don't we? None of those are sustainable, though. They will always disappoint. They will not come through for us. And if we put our faith in other things, the arrows that come our way will definitely penetrate our shield, and we will be left lifeless on that battlefield that we are navigating. The great thing about faith is it grows and matures over time. The bad thing about faith is it usually grows on the battlefield of life. As I look back over my own life, the growing times that I have had have usually been when the battle's gotten pretty ugly. My faith grew because I saw God carry me through those times. He didn't necessarily take them away. And what about salvation? Salvation comes by hearing and believing in Christ. That's what we're told. There we go. Oh, I didn't keep up. So salvation comes by hearing the word, and then we believe. And Christ is described as the author of our salvation. Salvation is the hope and expectation of life in heaven, of eternal life. Now, I believe that the reason that salvation is in the form of a helmet is because it penetrates our mind 
so that our thought process is changed. We have an eternal view that gives us the proper perspective on our struggles right now. They are temporary and they will come to an end and they will seem like light and momentary trials in light of all eternity, but we have to have our mind changed through this perspective of salvation. And last, we have the sword of the spirit. Our last piece is the one tool that is an offensive tool, not a defensive tool. A sword, which is the word of God, it both cuts and it saves. It is law and it's gospel. It's trouble and it's grace. It is by hearing the word that we have salvation. In a sermon that Martin Luther delivered back in 1512, he said this, Satan here attacks Adam and Eve in this way to deprive them of the word and to make them believe his lie after they lost the word and their trust in God. Unbelief is the source of all sin. When Satan brought about this unbelief by driving out or corrupting the word, the rest was easy for him. The chief temptation was to listen to another word and depart from the word that God had already spoken. When Satan separated them from and deprived them of God's word, nothing was easy for them. It's the same for us. This piece of armor can only be helpful if we're familiar with it and continue to use it and apply it. Bible literacy is a huge problem in the church. We want to listen to what other people say about the Bible, but we don't want to take the time to dig in for ourselves and read things within context. If you don't know more than the Christmas story and the Easter story and a few of the parables, you are not going to be able to use this sword of the Spirit, this word of God to help you in the battle. You won't have enough in your mind and in your heart. And so it's important to take that step on your own and study God's word for yourself and see what it says. And then trust that he will help you when you are under attack to use it. Just like Jesus did with Satan in the temptation in the wilderness, when he was being tempted, he was able to recall and fight back with the very words of God, and Satan departed from him. Now, verses 14 to 18 also show a tension between God's provision and the call to human responsibility. You see, each piece is provided for us, but we have to put it on. We have something that is uh, said in the covenant church in our denomination. Where is it written? You see, the word of God, how we apply it, that is what we need to be doing. Where is it written? Know what God is saying. And so, lastly, Paul says to pray in the spirit as as it is in the spirit of God that infuses the supernatural power which enables each piece of armor to function. So 
Are you feeling defeated today? Like you're having a hard time standing your ground in the battle that you're in? Are you feeling vulnerable? Is there a battle that you're in right now? Well, right now, I have to confess that my armor is being tested. Barry's health issues, first cancer a few years ago, and now the Parkinson's disease, can feel like a battle that can't be won. This sermon was for me. <laughs> we both are dealing with different frustrations as we figure out how we navigate what a new normal is. And it would seem that this battle is against blood and flesh, but in the reality, it's much deeper and darker than that. This is a battle of spiritual nature. The physical changes are one thing, but the spiritual impact on us is what matters. You see, Satan would love for us to become discouraged and isolated from each other and from God. And he's had some success for sure in that because we question, what is God doing in this? What is happening? And then fear can take over. I bet you all can relate to that. Being reminded that what is really going on is a lack of putting on God's armor is what is helpful and restores our hope in God. He is faithful. And no matter what you are going through, what battle you're in, put on the armor of God. You all have had... You are in or you will be in a battle. Probably don't want to hear that from me today, right? Do you understand that it is against enemies you cannot see? Are you able to see your struggle as one that at the very root is of spiritual nature and therefore has spiritual implications and needs spiritual armor? Here's the thing, the struggle might go away, but another will come. That's life. And so once we learn how to put on God's armor and understand where these struggles are coming from, we can keep going down that battlefield and withstanding whatever comes at us. God has promised us that. So which of these pieces of armor do you need to put on today? What might be missing for you? Maybe one piece or all of it. We have the protection we need to stand firm and win. It's up to us to put it on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your truth, your righteousness, your peace, faith, the salvation you offer each of us, and the sword of the Spirit, which is your very word, which helps us to stand firm in the day of trouble. God, we thank you that we can have an eternal perspective, that we can see things as you see them, and we, we can see them as temporary, as we look towards eternity with you. Thank you for giving us all that we need, God. Thank you for your faithfulness, and I pray right now for each of us here that we would hear from you directly. What are you saying to us today? 
I know that you have a word for each person here, God, and I know that it is your desire for each of us to stand firm and have victory in you. Thank you, God, that we can count on that, and it is not our human ability, but it is all you. In your name we pray, amen.